Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series from canvas to screen on select Saturdays in March. Enjoy a film that captures the drama and beauty of some of history's most celebrated works of art, including Metropolis, Days of Heaven, and Marie Antoinette at NortonSimon.org. Come see the new quiz show, Go Fact Yourself, with special guests Andy Richter and Fresh Air's Tanya Mosley. It's March 23rd at the Crawford. Get your tickets at las.com slash events. It's Film Week on L.A. is 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Wonderful to have you with us with critics this week, Tim Cogshell of Alt Film Guide and Synagogues.com. Peter Rayner is film critic for the Christian Science Monitor, and they're just two of the 11 critics who will share the stage with me at the historic Orpheum Theater in downtown Los Angeles on Sunday afternoon, March 3rd, just a week in advance of the Oscars. It's our 22nd annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. We sure hope you join us. We'll have clips of all of the best film nominees, and we'll be talking about the major categories and hearing our critics go at it over what they think should be honored and what they think was excluded. That's March 3rd, Sunday afternoon. You can get your tickets at com slash events. We hope to see you there. We begin with this week's release of the French period film set in the late 1880s, The Taste of Things. We actually reviewed this earlier, back with its Oscar qualifying run toward the end of last year. It's now out in a wider release, including at Lemley's Royal Theater in West L.A. The film stars Juliette Binoche and Benoit Majimel. It's written and directed by Tran An Hung, who did The Scent of Green Papaya. Peter, please start us on The Taste of Things. Uh, this is a terrific movie. Uh, yeah, it's set in 1885. It opens with this culinary flourish. The the uh, the head cook of this famed Loire chateau, played by Juliette Binoche, is, is um, swinging between kettles and saucepans and stovetops and basins. And you know you're seeing her putting this great potpourri of delicacies together. And it goes on for like 15 or 20 minutes, it seems. To start the and, film. Yeah, no, and I'm saying to myself, if, if the whole movie's like this, I'm never going to get through <laughs> it, you know. But uh, it, it to its credit, this is not, I mean, there's a lot of, food in this movie and it's scrumptious but it's not a foodie movie it it's it's really a a a very deep and 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 touching romance uh, uh binoche is has been the uh the cook in this uh Loire chateau for for 20 years and this this famed uh, uh, uh culinary expert uh benoit majimel is 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 her boss but also sometime lover uh, and they share separate bedrooms, and she occasionally lets them into hers. And, you know, it's all very... But she would rather be his his cook than his wife. I mean, he's constantly asking her to marry him. Um, but she feels that would be sort of a come down because, you know, she really uh, thinks that food is, is, is above everything else. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, the two actors, who, by the way, in real life were a couple and share a daughter. Um, they're playing a couple in this film, although they're no longer together. So interesting. So that's an interesting little uh, subplot to the plot. Um, uh, but it's 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 a marvelous. It looks marvelous. It's some of the imagery is is derived, you know, not self consciously from from Corbet and Renoir, and um, uh, and it, it has one of the most romantic moments I think I've ever seen in a movie where you know she has these fainting spells that come more serious, and finally he's, he he wants to cook for her, mm. and then he asks, you know, can I watch you eat it? 
And she says yes, and it's just marvelous. The Taste of Things, uh, unrated French film, and it's France's official submission for the Oscar uh, consideration. One best director at last year's Cannes Film Festival. Tim, what do you think of The Taste of Things? Exquisite, just an exquisite movie. And watching this movie, one can't help but slip into thoughts about so many beautiful movies around and about food, like Water for Chocolate, uh, 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 Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Babette's Feast was the one that kept popping into my head as I watched this. I still see her preparing the quail. (laughs) Fred Wiseman's Menu Plaisir, which was snubbed by the Oscars this year for Best Documentary, Mm. will be on PBS in March. It's a great movie about a three-star French restaurant. That's another one. Uh, a fly on the wall. This is beautiful. And that story in between it. Yes, yes. Uh, she's, she's, she's the cook, but he's the chef. And, and she knows that to become his wife would, in fact, diminish her within uh, the, the realm that they work in, but in his eyes, too. And that's the thing that we're watching. That scene where they have the young student, a young girl comes there who wants to take up as an apprentice there, and she has to taste things. It's a 10-minute scene. And everything that she tastes, she has to tell him what she tastes, what the flavors are. It's just beautiful, beautifully done. So so it's just a lovely, lovely movie, and I'm really kind of surprised it's not nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. Fascinating that it's adapted from a novel written in 1961. I mean, this goes way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the French uh, Oscar nominee uh, for for foreign uh, for uh, international feature. But didn't make uh, the didn't top make it. five. I mean, it, it's yeah. a good... It's on the short list, but yeah. It's a good short list, but... Still should have been on it. The Taste of Things is unrated. You can see it, as I said earlier, Lemley's Royal Theater in West L.A. next Wednesday. On Valentine's Day, appropriately, it goes into wider release. Bob Marley, One Love, a biopic starring Kingsley Ben-Adir. It's directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green and written by five credited, I'm sorry, four credited screenwriters mm. led by Terrence Winter. Tim, what do you think of Bob Marley, One Love? That's too, that's too, too many. Too, too many. <laughs> you can't have one. I'm sorry. Things go awry. Two screenwriters, Max. That's <laughs> Things your rule. Side. Things go sideways when you go the other way. An almost cradled grave story, which is not that difficult to go, considering Bob Marley died so young, young yeah, uh, yeah. May of uh, 1981, only 36 years old, uh, when, when he left us. Uh, uh, this is fine, serviceable, well-performed, highly performed, I might say. Everyone here is working real hard to be authentic, authentically Jamaican, to get that patois right. And you can sometimes see the work. Uh, including including Kingsley, uh, there. But 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 it's but it's fine, and it is a near cradle grave story. Although we spend a good amount of time in that period in 1976 around an assassination attempt of Bob Marley. A lot of people don't know that that uh, there was a very serious assassination attempt made on his life in December of 1976. Several people were shot. His wife, his manager, he was shot. Not nobody was killed. Uh, several people were injured terribly. Uh, it was a couple of days before this big concert that he was going to do, this sort of peace and reconciliation concert, and and uh, the shooters were never captured, although it was considered probably a political shooting because of Bob Marley's leaning toward Michael Manley. And, and the concert did go on. It's very interesting. Uh, the band uh, that played with him at that concert was not his band. That was not the Whalers. That was another reggae band because the Whalers went into hiding, Bunny and Peter Tosh and all those guys, and we didn't see them. And after that, Bob, and as depicted in this movie, Exiles and to London where he makes his seminal records, Exodus and all that amazing stuff. To be honest with you, I did not come to Bob Marley until late. Bob had been around 15, 20 years before the the late 70s, early 80s, right before he passes. And that's when I sort of came to Bob Marley, that extraordinary album. This film, 
this film suffers from a couple of things. I went to, I saw this film in the biggest possible way you can see a film at the premiere. Uh, yeah, 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 in Westwood. Just, just, just the other night. Cheering, he, cheering audience, the whole, the whole thing. thing. And I'm watching this movie, and I'm appreciating the scale, and it's well-made. Ronaldo, Marcus Green, uh, King Richard, and all of that. But somehow I'm like, I'm sorry, this is not a big theatrical. This is not, it's not the same thing that happened when I saw Jamie Foxx portray Ray, Ray Charles. Yeah. That moment. Jamie Foxx was a TV star, not a movie star. And that made him a movie star, that portrayal of Ray. This isn't going to, it's, it's not. One thing, and it's not his fault, this guy's too good looking. He's too good looking. It, it, Bob Marley was an, he was an everyday guy. He looked like he had terrible teeth. His eyes were always yellow from smoking weed. If you've ever seen, and, and, this, and this, this guy is just gorgeous on this screen and he's doing this patois and I'm like, no. We're talking about Bob Marley, One Love, the biopic from director Ronaldo Marcus Green, starring Kingsley Ben-Adir. It's rated PG-13 in wide release. Out of Darkness, a British horror thriller that stars Chuku Modu and Kit Young. Andrew Cumming is the director. Ruth Greenberg wrote the screenplay. Peter, Out of Darkness. Uh I found this very compelling, even though it would be difficult to make a case for it as a great movie. Mm. Uh, it, it's sort of like a cross between Quest for Fire and Blair Witch Project. <laughs> <laughs> what a great um, description. You know, it's shot in the Scottish Highlands, uh, lots of fog, lots of mm. uh, mud, trees, uh, forests. It's, 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 you know, very Stone Age um, uh, authenticity. Uh, it, they also, the, the big selling point for this movie is that the filmmakers uh, developed a, a language. They created a language for this movie. So they're all speaking. It seems like, given that this was set 45,000 years ago, that, that they're a little bit too glib and eloquent when they speak. Also, the cast is multiracial. I'm not quite sure how that works 45,000 years ago with this tribe. Um, and also the language that they create, I mean, to me it sort of sounded like a cross between uh, Urdu and Yiddish. Uh, <laughs> But, um, but you know, it's a small yeah, it could be. <laughs> but it's a small group of of, uh, of stone agers who um, or stone agers who uh, band together to survive. And then there's these horrible howling sounds and shrieks coming from they don't know where. And then they're sort of picked off by this thing, and we don't know what's going on for a while. It sort of turns didactic and 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 touchy feely uh, in ways at the end, which I think sort of deserve. Uh, the movie, you know, usually whenever you see the attacker for real up close, yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a come down. Um, but it does have its it's I mean, it is powerful uh, in the sense that it holds you. Uh, it does. Uh, you know, it's scary and um, it's well shot. I think it's a first it's a debut feature for the director. Uh and you know, it's if you like this sort of thing, uh, yeah. it's sounds the, entertaining. Yeah, even with its flaws, yeah. out of darkness, Tim. I thought it moved along pretty good. I mean, what what is six, seven people in the whole cast, something like that, all total? Uh, this little group start. of people. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna, you're going to work our way down to a much smaller number. Um, uh, it, but that's what we have to work with these people. And in the, at the beginning of the old man, there's an old man, the sage, and he tells the story. In uh, the story that he's telling is the story of them. Uh, these are supposed to be Paleolithic people. So, like when you, when you see those cave drawings uh, inside caves, these would have been the people who drew who, who drew that stuff. That's the old Stone Age. That's who they're supposed to be. And there's a twist, which I thought was sort of interesting, um, uh, when we get toward the end. But mostly, it's about fighting this thing that they call a monster. But is it? That's the thing. 
Out of Darkness, British horror film, is rated R, and it's in wide release. Lisa Frankenstein, romantic comedy-slash-horror film, directed by Zelda Williams. Diablo Cody is the screenwriter. It stars Catherine Newton and Cole Sprouse. Tim. Yeah, yeah, Zelda Williams, Robin Williams' daughter, a very talented actress and voice uh, and voiceover actress, uh, so she picked that up from her daddy for sure. This is set in the 80s, um, uh, during the period when movies like Pretty in Pink and Valley girls were actually made um, um, so this this looks and sounds sort of like that but there was something about the way it's set in the 80s and in, in the way that they are sort of portraying those girls and these people in the valley that rubbed me the wrong way I felt like they didn't like these people you know I remember those movies from the 80s I like yeah. those movies in the 80s and yeah. I like them now these John Hughes films John yeah. Hughes all those wonderful films and I'm like mm, you know these 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 filmmakers seem to be making fun of those people and that kind of bugged me a little bit about this movie so it's inspired by Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and, and, and probably by the fact that when Mary Shelley wrote that, conceived it anyway, she was just a teenage girl. So we have this teenage girl here who's kind of gothy uh, and a bit of a loner, and uh, she she has this uh, um, obsession with this uh, Victorian-era uh, poet who's buried in this particular spot, and through a lot of machinations that include a lightning strike, we end up with that corpse coming to life. Now, Mary Shelley believed in science. Uh, completely and totally, which is why she wrote Frankenstein the way she did. They skip science here altogether. This is just all, you know. And then it becomes uh, a hack and slash movie. Uh, he has some parts that are missing, and they have to get the, you know, you have to, she wants to sew them together so she mm-hmm. can build herself a boyfriend. Uh, and 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 we go on the sort of into this sort of hack and slash kind of mean little movie. And I'm like, why why are we doing this to Mary Shelley's wonderful story? Of, of, of love. So I don't know. This just didn't hold up for me uh, the way I hoped it would. It's from the writer of, oh, a uh, young adult and Tubble and Juno, Academy Award. This just doesn't hold up very well. It's not directed all that tightly either. Well, who's the intended audience as you see it? Are are they those that grew up on the Hughes films or this younger generation? Oh, I'm I'm certain that this is pointed at a much younger generation. Dobla Cody grew up on that on those Hughes films, and I don't think she liked them. It's it's what I'm thinking uh, when it comes to this. I film. think Poor Things is sort of the the you know better equivalent for yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, hard to... Well, of course, the original source material, fantastic mm. as, as well. Lisa Frankenstein, rated PG-13. It's in wide release. Coming up on Film Week, we'll hear our critics tell us about the dramatic comedy Suncoast, The Monk and the Gun, and the documentary The Space Race on Nat Geo and other streaming platforms. It's Film Week on L.A. It's 89.3. Larry Mantle with critics... Peter Rayner and Tim Cogshell remind you that tickets are available for the 22nd Annual Film Week Academy Awards preview. It's on Sunday, March 3rd, the Orpheum Theater, downtown Los Angeles. Tickets at LAist.com slash events. We sure hope to see you there. Back in a minute. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series From Canvas to Screen, capturing the drama and beauty of some of history's most celebrated works of art. Films include Metropolis by Fritz Lang, Days of Heaven by Terrence Malick, and Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Saturdays now through March 30th. More information at nortonsimon.org. Support comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting One of the Good Ones. The ultimate family showdown is on in the world premiere of this new comedy commissioned by the Tony Award-winning theater. 
when the perfect Latina daughter brings her boyfriend home to meet the parents, her family's biases and preconceptions are put on full display. Meet your new favorite family in this laugh-out-loud, heartfelt story from Gloria Calderon Kellett, the co-creator and showrunner of Netflix's One Day at a Time. Now through April 7th, tickets are on sale now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. It's Film Week on L.A. at 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, joined by critics Tim Cogshell and Peter Rayner. Reminder, coming up later this hour, Oscar-nominated screenwriter Sammy Birch, who wrote the screenplay for May-December. She's Best Original Screenplay nominee, and this is her first feature film that she's written. We'll talk with her coming up later this hour. And by the way, we put together two hours' worth of interviews with Oscar nominees that are going to air on President's Day. So we invite you to join us for that. That's uh, on President's Day. Uh, we're going to have two hours in our Air Talk time slot totally devoted to those interviews that we've conducted. We continue with new films this week with Suncoast, which is inspired by the experiences of writer-director Laura Chin. The film's stars uh, Nico Parker and Laura Linney, Woody Harrelson also in the cast. Peter? This is a terrific little movie and was a surprise for me. Um, it just recently played uh, Sundance uh, and uh, Nico Parker got uh, you know some kind of breakthrough award uh, there. It's um, it's it's a it's basically a mother-daughter conflict movie. Um, uh, Nico Parker is, is a, a you know teenager in high school who's uh, doesn't have much of a social life because she's been, you know, uh, she's been taking care of her brother who's, 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 you know, kind of completely out of it and it's about to enter a hospice uh, for, you know, uh, uh, brain issues. And and, um, so she's sort of his full-time caregiver. The mother, Laura Linney, works outside the home and they have a very contentious, you know, loving slash contentious relationship. Um, The brother is put into a hospice called Suncoast uh, which is where Terry Schiavo was um, was held uh, for real in in um, I think 2005, and so whenever they uh, visit the uh, the the hospice, there's always a lot of demonstrators and people, you know, because to Terry Schiavo was you know was was on life support, and there was a conflict between her husband who wanted her taken off and her parents who didn't want that, so it became a real big you know religious thing, and um, so. The performances are wonderful. Uh, Laura Linney is 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 really good as usual. Yeah. Um, uh, Woody Harrelson plays one of the protesters, but he's he's a very sympathetic guy, and he sort of befriends Nico Parker uh, because his wife had died some time before, and he understands what she's going through. Um, so it, and and then Nico Parker, she she's with these bunch of girls in high school, and you think this is going to turn into some mean girls thing, but but they're actually very sympathetic to her, and and it has some of the most believable teen parties I've ever seen in a movie. But the outstanding thing in this movie is Nico Parker. She's just a marvelous little actress, and for for the I was watching this movie, I said, who does she remind me of? Who does she look like? She's Tandy Newton's daughter. Oh, oh. okay. Yeah, and 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 uh, it's it, she's it's it's a, a a marvelous multi-layered performance, and and she can only go up from you know. Wow. It's, yeah. That's great. And a first-time uh, feature director, Laura Chen. Yeah, and it's her first film, and it's very well-directed. It's a very assured first feature. Suncoast is streaming on Hulu. 
Uh, the Monk and the Gun is in select theaters, and it's set in the kingdom of Bhutan. Uh, the film's written and directed by Paolo Choining Dorji. Peter, what would you think of The Monk and the Gun? Yeah, uh, yeah this is from the same... Uh... So I guess you, lack, you, yak in the classroom. Cl- lack it? in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you just can't get enough of Bhutan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a really charming film. It really was, um, and uh, and a surprise Oscar nominee, I believe. Um, this is also a very good movie. It's it's uh, it, it, there's an American uh, sort of entrepreneur or whatever I don't know what you call him who wants to procure a uh, an antique rifle in Bhutan that was used back in the Civil War days in the United States. Um, but this same rifle is, is wanted by the, uh, the chief llama of the, of the village for, for unknown reasons. And we suspect he wants a rifle. What's that for? You know, he wants to set things right. The king of Bhutan has, has abdicated, has given up his... Uh, and so now they have free elections there for the first time. And there's all this kind of election prep going on. And, and a lot of people don't understand what it is or why or why we need this. Um, there's a lot of interaction. A lot of you know people in the village uh, uh, stand out. A lot of funny characterizations. Um, it's it, it's a charming movie, and it also you know it, it wears its ethnography lightly, so that you know you don't feel like you're being uh, lectured to or or given some sort of travelogue or or didactic statement about you know brotherhood or the need for for uh, you know democracy and voting. I mean, actually, the film makes a fairly good case for not having democracy, <laughs> for dictatorship, right? Right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah. the monk and the gun. Oh, it, it, think, it, it, very, very, very funny indeed. It is pointed. It has it has some thoughts about democracy. It has some thoughts about American democracy. Uh, in in particular, uh, the the the, the llama uh, when his assistant comes to him, the lawyer, the, 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 he tells him, "I need you to get to get me a gun." And he says, "A gun?" <laughs> like that. <laughs> I've never even seen a gun. He says, "Well." I need a gun. As a matter of fact, I need two guns. Two guns. It's like it's just crazy. It's insane. So he's wandering around looking for this gun, while these this other guy with his companion are looking for the exact same gun. Meanwhile, this young woman who works for the state government, because they're all going to hold these mock elections, uh, trying to get ready for the democratic thing that is going to happen, and did in fact happen. There, it's a democratic constitution. They still have a kingdom, but that did in fact happen. Uh, and she's roaming around to all these communities, trying to explain to people what democracy is and, and what elections are. And they're looking at her like she's out of her mind. <laughs> they're like, yeah, but what does the king think of this? No, the king is abdicating. That's why we're doing this. But what did the king say about it? No, the king <laughs> is the reason why we're doing this. So it sounds like there's plenty of humor, like a yak in the classroom, it, no, which, it's, it's which was a funny, funny film. Yeah, yeah, I mean, funny. The, king, the, the royal color is yellow. So when they have this mock election, it's like 90% of the people vote for the yellow color as opposed to three other colors. They say, why? I said, well, because that's the royal color. You know, they didn't get it. It sounds really, really good. The Monk and the Gun from the Kingdom of Bhutan. The film's rated PG-13 in select theaters. The documentary The Space Race uh, shares the experience of the first black astronauts through archival film and interviews. The film's directed by Lisa Cortez and Diego Hurtado de Mendoza. Tim? This is just a fantastic doc that I I thoroughly enjoy. I I consider myself uh, fairly knowledgeable about the, the space program. I was in the Air Force for years. I went to the Air Force Academy. There is so much in this film that I did not know about black folks' participation and engagement in the space race from before the space race that was absolutely astounding to me. Um, when, I, when I think about the first black man in space, I generally speaking go to Guy Buford, 1983 space shuttle commander. You know? uh, um, but in fact, 
back before the Mercury and Apollo programs, there was a guy named Ed Dwight, who in 1960 was pegged to be an astronaut, the first black astronaut. John Kennedy, uh, there's a whole complicated story there. Ed's still alive, and he's in this movie. Ed's done all kinds of things that are extraordinary um, uh, that, that I did not know about. He became a sculptor uh, after a very, very set of complicated things happened. Even before Ed, there was a black man named Bob Lawrence who secretly was pegged to become an astronaut, but it was a secret because he was involved in a very highly secret program. So everybody in that program was kept under wraps, not yeah. just him, everyone. But he was actually the first black man pegged to become an astronaut in this country, even before Ed Dwight. The Russians actually put the first black man in space, a black Cuban, an Afro-Cuban, who went into space well before Guy Buford in 1983. Wow. I don't know any of these things. Yeah. Look, there's a list of, uh, of, of, of black astronauts that they lay out in this movie, and it's a wonderful list. It's nice and long. It includes Mae Jemison and, and Winston Scott and all of these people, right on up to Victor Glover from right around here yeah. locally. Yeah, he's right been on our program, oh, yeah. And, 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 and it's a wonderful thing, and, I, and, and I'm glad that they did it, but here's the thing. You can read that whole list. You can read the whole list real quick. About 15. About 15. We need to fix that. This is extraordinary, and I think it might help in fixing that uh, that, that notion there. Uh, Ron, Ron McNair. Of course, we all know about Ron. Yeah. One of these. I did not know as much about him as I thought I did. I, I knew that he was a Ph.D. from MIT and all. I did not know he played the, he played the sax like Herbert Laws. That's that's how good he was. He they, they they wanted him to become a professional saxophone player, but he was just too damn smart <laughs> to, 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 to 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 only do music. It's just extraordinary. Some stuff. people are particularly gifted with oh, multiple yeah. talents. Yeah. The space race is the film, and it's streaming on Nat Geo, Disney Plus, and Hulu. On uh, Monday, February twelfth, is when it debuts. The space race is unrated. Float, a romantic drama starring Robbie Amell and Sarah Desjardins. The film's directed by Sharon Lee, who co-wrote the screenplay, uh, and the film is Canadian. Peter, what do you think of Float? Well, this is a Harlequin uh, romance movie um, of a you know fairly okay uh, example. Um, uh, Andrea Bang and uh, and Robbie Amell are, are the are the two leads. She's a uh, she plays a a medical student uh, in Toronto. She visits her parents and very controlling parents in Taipei, but she's never had a break. So she, instead of going to a residency that they think she's going to, she drops down to see her aunt in a small Canadian town. And uh, there's this hunky lifeguard there, played by Robbie Man Amell, who um, uh, saves her when she's. Uh, sort of drowning kind of and uh, and so that's the the version of meet cute yeah um it, you know i didn't think they had a whole lot of chemistry which is a problem in a, in a movie like this um yeah, but it, one one quick point to make i think is you know it's directed by a woman and the uh the lifeguard character is he's like right out of you know the bachelor uh, and, and there's always talk about, you know, women are sort of objectified in movies, you know, uh, by, by male directors. It works the other way, too. And I don't think it's a flaw necessarily. It's just this is how, you know, we perceive each other. And, and so um, he's, he comes across as a kind of, you know, uh, uh, male idol. 
um, in a way that I'm not sure would be would be typical of a film if if if, if a, a guy had directed this film. And and I I've, I've seen this you know frequently in movies. It's it's interesting you know the, the the way the gaze changes according to who makes the movie. And I think it certainly plays out in this film. Well, and and presumably this film is intended for a women's audience. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 a it's a harlequin. Uh, romance not not very torrid but yeah floor uh float is uh, rated pg-13 it's at the lumiere cinema in beverly hills and streaming on demand disco boy a european film directed by giacomo abruzzese uh, uh, who also co-wrote the screenplay tim oh this is a very good film this is a harrowing film mostly about a a young man uh, who we'll call alex who uh, travels from belarus into france illegally uh, and in order to uh, attain French citizenship, he joins the French Foreign Legion. As you know, famously, the French Foreign Legion will take in anybody. And uh, if you if you serve faithfully for the appropriate amount of time, you will be given French citizenship. Meanwhile, in the Niger Delta, we meet a young black man, the leader of a um, of a, of, of, a uh, of, of a force of people who want to uh, get the colonists, particularly the oil company colonists, out of the Niger Delta. Um, this young man who joins the French Foreign Legion and that young black leader of those rebels are going to meet. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's in, they're going to meet, and there's going to be a situation there. Now, then we spend a whole lot of time in a French disco, disco boy here. And something myth- mystical and a little magical happens in this film. Uh, Shades of Beau Travail, the Claire Denny film from the yeah. 1990s, mm-hmm. are here because we spend a lot of time with that young man as he's training uh, to become because he's going to he, he wants this more than anything in the world. Ultimately, this film is about dispossession. It's about it's about it's about trying to to get agency and, and the powers and the authorities that keep us from our agency and the things they make us do to get that agency. That's what this film is about. And it's ultimately quite devastating and with, with a few sort of psychedelic twists and turns and a little bit of mysticism it, it really gets to you in the end and, and and we end up in the disco the score is extraordinary electro punk rock just extraordinary this guy who plays the lead in this his name is franz rodeski or something like that Rodeski. look at his face he looks like a young joaquin phoenix he even has the cleft he looks exactly like a young Joaquin Phoenix, and he's that good an actor, too. Wow. Disco Boy, that's Franz Wagowski. Talking about uh, Giacomo Abruzzese is the director and co-screenwriter. Disco Boy is unrated, and it's at Lemley's Glendale and Lemley's Royal in West L.A. Uh, we're just about out of time, uh, but I do want to ask about the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which our own Claudia Puig is uh, the director of, the, the programmer for the festival. Peter, just briefly share with us about uh, some of the highlights of Santa Barbara. Yeah, well, it's going on uh, through uh, the following Sunday, and um, they have a lot of tributes to almost everybody who's been nominated for an Oscar, it seems like. Uh, Throughout the week, there'll be, you know, Leonard Maltin is having an evening with Robert Downey Jr. Mark Ruffalo will be uh, also tributed, uh, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Bradley Cooper, Paul Giamatti. Annette Benning. Wow. Uh, there's a, 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 I don't know what they call it, but there's Lily Gladstone, Col- Coleman Domingo, America Ferreira, Divine Joy Randolph, Andrew Scott, Daniel Brooks. I mean, there's just a ton of people um, who are going to be uh, giving tributes to. There's also a director's panel, a, a producer's panel. All of the Oscar nominated screenwriters uh, will be uh, talking on a, on a panel. I hear, you know, some of the films there that are supposed to be quite good include Lucha and All You 
uh, Here is Noise, The Movie Man, and um, Shari and Lamb Chop. You remember Shari oh, yeah, Lewis? Oh, yeah, of course, Sherry Lewis. Sherry yeah. Lewis. So I think TV her daughter star. will be there, and, oh. and it's, a, it's a documentary about Shari Lewis and Lamb Chop. Very good. That's all the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which is on through Saturday, February 17th. Also, the news from Thursday that there's a new Oscar category, Best Achievement in Casting. It begins with the 98th Oscar Ceremony 2025. It's Film Week on L. Layest 89.3 coming up. Sammy Birch, the screenwriter of May December, will talk with us about her first feature film and to get an Oscar nomination. It's Film Week on Elias 89.3. Hey, it's Brian, the host of How to LA, a podcast that is a love letter to Los Angeles. Independent movie theaters are having a glow-up moment. Vidiots and Eagle Rock, amazing. We have our friends at the American Cinematheque. The Vista just reopened. In our new series, Revival House, we'll take you inside these spots and share their history. Because movie history is L.A. history. Listen to Revival House on How to LA wherever you listen to podcasts.